Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the to Grace Life Church. We're glad you're here to hang out with us and worship together. Um, we're continuing our sermon series in Acts, and today we'll be talking about Acts 16 and the story of uh, Paul and Silas in prison. Alcatraz was a maximum security prison and uh, it was located on an island a little over a mile off uh, the coast of California. And on June 11, 1962, three men successfully broke out of prison and were never seen again. It's a really fascinating story. Uh, you can look it up on your own time. But essentially what happened was, so about six months prior, uh, there were four prison inmates. They were assigned to adjacent cells in this prison. And... Uh, were friends, and you know what, I just realized my clickers, I left somewhere. Anyways, um, these four minutes, they were friends, and they immediately started planning for an escape. Um, and then over the next six months, they widened these ventilation ducts beneath their sinks. They found these discarded saw blades, metal spoons, and an electric drill that they extracted from a vacuum cleaner. And uh, they would only work during music hour. Uh, because during music hour, people would play music and it would distract people from actually hearing their sound. And then once the holes were wide enough, they would climb through and meet in this specified unused room. Um, and then uh, they would set up their own workshop. And then here they would smuggle in raincoats uh, and then a bunch of other random materials. And they constructed a rubber raft. They stitched together this rubber raft and um, they... Uh, sealed them with a heat of steam of steam pipes and they also they found this music instrument that they sort of manipulated so that they could blow up this raft and they made paddles with scrap wood and screws and all the while they made dummy heads actually it works they made dummy heads out of uh uh and uh so, and they put it in their bed so that the guards wouldn't suspect that they were gone and um they decorated these heads with paint even that they got from the maintenance shop so they and they got hair. They did all this elaborate stuff to prepare for the night of June eleventh, and they began their escape. And unfortunately, one of the inmates was unable to re remove his ventilation, put in all this effort, and he he was stuck. Okay, that was a huge bummer. But the other three, they actually got out. They successfully climbed through the ventilation shaft to the roof. They hauled their gear with them. They slid down to the ground. They uh, climbed two barbed wire fences. So it's an it's it's a fascinating story, you know. Some people think they drowned, okay, because uh, it's possible that it was stormy that day, but other people think they got away, and they just sort of lived happily ever after in some remote place, uh, off the grid or something. But what was the what was mind blowing about the whole thing is how in these how in the world did these people, uh, so much time, so much effort, and so much precision to executing this plan of breaking out of a maximum security prison. I think the reason is they were so dedicated, so dedicated to this goal of breaking out of prison that for six months, that was their minds. That was like their one sole purpose that they yearned for. And so they dedicated to this cause. Now I would imagine like any time they would, they would just be in a random place, like the barbershop or the, 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 they're hanging out during music hour. They would be 
what this could work for this plant and this could work for this plant. It was constantly on their mind, whether it was collecting hair or digging up with digging with metal spoons, making dummy heads fitted to this cause. Because they knew that in order to break out of prison, they needed to seize every opportunity. And then at the right well, today we're talking about another prison break. It was an almost prison break story. And uh, two people, they had the chance to break out of prison, but what was, ah, they chose not to break out of prison. Silas, and so let's fill in some context just a little bit before we dive into the story. So Paul and Silas, and um, the spreading the good news of Jesus, the planting churches, and throughout the beginning of Acts 16, you see them traveling to different cities. And then in verse 6, this is what it says, Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. When they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So there's this a few things I want to point out here. So one, there's a lot of geographical names. So all these places are in uh, Anatolia, which is modern-day Turkey. And uh, modern-day Turkey... Uh, at that time was the furthest west the gospel had been, had traveled. And it was also considered the furthest west of uh, that uh, of the continent of Asia. So there was sort of a cultural divide between Turkey and what was west of Turkey, which was considered Europe. So a lot of people, they didn't use these words necessarily, the continent names, but that's just how they perceived things. There was a cultural divide between Turkey. And so, and for whatever reason, it seemed like uh, the Spirit prevented them from traveling to certain areas. Um, and so we don't know how or, or you know what that looked like, but they tried to go certain places and they were prevented from going to certain places. So that's sort of interesting. Keep that in mind. Let's keep going. Verse 8. So they passed by Mysia to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave from Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So they arrive at Troas. They receive this vision. And this is pretty significant because Troas at the time, so we don't know if this is true, but it was perceived to be where ancient Troy was. That's, it shares a name. And Troy, if, you don't, if you're not familiar, this is where the legendary, we don't know if this is true or not, but the legendary Trojan War was fought. And the Trojan War was sort of depicted as uh, this great battle between the armies of Europe and the armies of Asia. Okay. And so this is, this is it's just interesting, fascinating stuff from a geographical standpoint. Also, Troas is the first stop, the first stop of Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great was Macedonian king who basically uh, in much of Asia, Western Asia, Central Asia at the time. And, um, and so that was the first stop. And so it's fascinating that it's this site, Troas, where historically it's linked to a lot of these military campaigns, um, the site of so many European military invasions that God decides to send Paul and Silas over to bring the gospel of peace. Anyway, that's just sort of interesting. They head over to Macedonia, which is in Europe, and the chapter continues on. I won't read the whole thing. You can sort of go through on your own, but I'll just the rest of Acts 16, they go to Philippi, which is a large city in Macedonia. They meet Lydia, they share the gospel with her. Her whole family believes and is baptized. Tradition holds that Lydia was the first European convert to the uh, to Christianity. And from verse 16, they meet a slave girl. They cast a demon out of her. The owners get upset. 
they stir up, uh, you know, some, they, they bring the news to the local authorities, the authorities throw them in prison. Okay, so that's how they got in prison. So think about this. Okay, so Paul missionary journey, uh, they had a certain agenda, but then God intervened and said, hey, actually, don't go here. Don't go here. Go here. Here's this vision. Go to Macedonia. So they go, okay, let's go to Macedonia. So they go there and they're sort of sort of anticipating why does God want us here? What is God trying to do with us here? Who is he trying to get us to meet? So they meet Lydia and Lydia saved and they go, okay, that's why God sent us here. And they, they deliver the slave girl. So maybe they're thinking, oh, maybe God brought us here to help deliver the slave girl. But then here's a negative turn. They end up in prison. And so if I were them, I would probably be wondering like, Okay, so I was following God's plan. This is these are God's instructions to go here. So why am I in prison? Like, how, is this is this part is this portion of the journey part of God's plan, right? Uh, well, let's read what happens. Let's skip down to verse twenty-five, which brings us to our story. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Why in the world would Paul and Silas be singing hymns in prison? How that makes sense? Well, remember the these inmates, they were seizing every opportunity to break out of prison. You see, Paul and Silas, they had a different agenda. They were seizing every opportunity to share Jesus with people around them. In fact, that's what this whole journey was about, right? Their whole journey, their whole purpose throughout this whole missionary journey was to share Jesus with people. That was sharing Jesus with Lydia, sharing Jesus with this potentially the slave girl, sharing Jesus with these prisoners. So let's keep going. Verse 26, suddenly there was a, such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. So this is the prison break opportunity potentially that any sane man would see this as, oh, this is my chance to escape. They, even from a spiritual perspective, they might even think, because there was already a story in the book of Acts where uh, Peter escaped from prison. So you would, so you could reasonably think, oh, this is God intervening and rescuing us from prison. So let's let's get out of prison. But they didn't get out of prison. Okay, let's see what happens. Verse twenty-seven. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, "Don't harm yourself! We are all here." The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, "Sirs, what must I do to be saved?" They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the to all the others in his house. At that night, at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his household were baptized. So the jailer knows that at, back in these days, if you let your prisoners escape, that was essentially a death sentence for you. And so he wants to take his own life. But Paul and Silas, they intervene and they save him in two ways. Firstly, they save him by making sure that none of the prisoners escaped. So that is fascinating to me. So it's one thing for Paul and Silas to not escape themselves, but somehow they were such great witnesses through their singing all night that they were somehow able to convince the rest of the prisoners not to escape. That, okay, that's mind-blowing. So, so they save him that way so that he would not be punished by death. And then the second is by sharing with them the good news of Jesus so that he is... He professes his faith in Jesus and he is baptized with his family. You see, there are actually two prisons in this story. There's a prison and there's a spiritual prison. There's a physical prison, the prison where 
day and the night. And then there was the spiritual prison. And here's what I mean by the spiritual prison. So according to the Christian faith, everybody is born uh, with sin. We are all born imprisoned and captive, controlled, ruled by sin. Everyone is preoccupied by sin. And at the right time, God sent his son Jesus to pay the bail for us by dying on the cross. And he declared that if everyone, anyone would trust in him, you would be free from sin. You'd be rescued. And so Paul and Silas, they could have been focused on their physical prison. Uh, they could have complained about their imprisonment. They could have gotten annoyed at their fellow prison inmates. They could have just wondered, when am I going to get out of here? They could have been bitter at the jailer. And when the earthquake happened, they could have just you know ran away. But uh, they stayed, and the reason why was they stayed was because their priority was not to escape from their physical prison, but to break other people out of their spiritual prisons. They saw this opportunity as just another opportunity along this journey to break people out of the prison. In fact, that, that was the whole reason for this whole missionary journey, was to go to places where people are stuck in spiritual prisons and to break them out. You see, there are two fundamentally different ways of viewing the reality that Paul and Silas were in. The first way of looking at things was to say, you know, Paul and Silas, they are prisoners in a prison. But the second way of looking at things, Silas were on a rescue mission to break other people out of prisons. And this rescue mission takes them to different places, including physical prisons. And so they chose to make the second way of looking at reality, breaking people out of spiritual prisons, that became their main reality. And this reality was so important to them that it didn't matter whether they were in a physical prison because they were on a mission. They acted the way they did because they believed that God was sending them on a rescue mission. Um, and so they did this throughout the journey. They saw Lydia. They broke her out. They saw the slave girl. They broke her out. They saw these, these prisoners around them. They tried to break them out. They saw this jailer. tried to break them out. And everything was going according to plan. Because it wasn't about the physical where God was leading them, but it was about who God was leading them to. Dual way of thinking about thinking about these two realities. This dual way of thinking applies to us as well. There are two radically different ways of approaching life on your own prisons. And obviously, uh, most of us were not physically in prison, uh, but sort of metaphorically, we were focused on our own issues. We're focused on our own problems. We're focused on our own sufferings, our own struggles. We're dedicating the bulk of our time to thinking about, man, I am I hate that I'm here. Or I can't wait to get out of here. And I'm hoping to get here. And, but we're, it's all about me. Um, and we spend the bulk of our time and our energy to breaking ourselves out of the physical constraints that we perceive we have. So that's one way of looking at reality. The second way of looking at reality is to be focused on other people's prisons, and especially their spiritual prisons, to be focusing on their pain and their struggles and their sufferings, and to dedicate the bulk of your time and energy and resources to breaking other people out of their prisons. And I'm not saying, of course, that you shouldn't take care of yourself, okay? Obviously, we got to do you know things to make sure we're healthy, and we exercise, we sleep, and we rest and all of those things. And so sometimes we need to, we have issues. We need to address those issues to make, make sure we're healthy. But I think the question we all need to ask is, 
is the default position of my heart to be concerned about my own problems or the problems of others? Is the default position of my heart um, to be concerned about my own problems or to be concerned about the problems of others? And here's how the heart works. Okay, the more you think about the problem gets. That's just how things work, okay? And so what happens is the more you think about your own problems, the more you obsess over your own problems, eventually the, the bigger these problems become. And the more you feel like that needs to take the priority seat in your life. And sometimes if you're not careful, you can sort of just spiral into this downward cycle of self-pity and self-help and self-obsession. And now say the opposite is true too. The more you're focused on the prisons of others, the more you start to notice the needs of those around you, the more you try to break other people out, the more you, you the more God grows your heart for other people. And it becomes this never-ending cycle of sacrificial love and generosity. It's a very subtle mentality shift, but I think it makes a world of a difference. And um, I want to be careful when I say this because I recognize that burnout is an issue. Sometimes people don't take care of themselves. Uh, but I also want to say this. You know, sometimes we may think I'm not in a place to help anybody right now because I have my own issues and I need to take care of first before I help other people. And, and there is a place for that. I do want to honor that. I think that's important. But I think there's also something that we subtly miss sometimes, which is that when we are not doing well, sometimes we are in the best possible to help other people. Because think about this, okay? What would make a bigger impression on these uh, prisoners in Philippi? Would it be free people singing songs or prisoners singing songs? It would be prisoners singing songs. If if people if if free people were singing songs and praising God, they'd be like, "Oh, that's just because you're free and you're you have a good life." When you see Paul and Silas, and they are suffering and struggling, but they are still maintaining this out this attitude of worship, then that makes an impression. And think about this, like what makes a bigger impression on this jailer? Some powerful, rich figure sharing the gospel with him or your prisoners sharing the gospel with you? Probably your prisoners sharing the gospel with you. You would wonder like, you had the chance to escape and, and uh, you were mistreated. And why would you share the gospel with me, right? When you are in the state, when you are in a state of suffering and you are in the state of turmoil, and struggle, and still in that state, you are able to be a light to others, to share joy with others, to like that makes a huge impression. Um, so sometimes when we are not doing well, when we are struggling, when we are suffering, those may actually be the best times to exercise love and truth to others. And I would even say this: the gospel is more accurately communicated when it is accompanied by suffering. The gospel is more accurately communicated when it is accompanied by suffering. You know, when the world sees messengers of the gospel, and if these messengers, they seem smug and safe and stable, then sometimes it may feel a little bit hypocritical or mental even. Like you're sort of, you know, you're raising your nose at them and you're, you're sort of looking down on them. But when the messenger, when the world sees messengers of the gospel and these messengers are broken and afflicted, and desperate, but they're still sharing the gospel, then that's when the gospel shines. The message of the gospel is about a suffering servant. That's the message of the gospel. 
Um, so that later when you read about the church in Philippi, in Paul's letters, one of the, the, um, the church in Philippi is this amazing generosity in the midst of affliction. Passage, I've always thought this passage is um, uh, amazing. This is from 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 2. So in this context, Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, and he's bragging about the churches of Macedonia, Philippi is in Macedonia. And he says this, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches in the midst of a very severe overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. So this verse 2 sounds so odd. It's so counterintuitive, so countercultural. Because notice, it doesn't say in the midst of a very comfortable time. It says in the midst of a very severe trial. And it doesn't say in their extreme prosperity. It says in their extreme poverty. And so somehow you have these Macedonians. They're suffering. They're poor. They're going through severe trials or afflictions of some kind, but it's welling up in rich generosity. The church in Macedonia, I think, was, we don't really know who founded the church in Macedonia, but we do know some of the first Christians there were Lydia, maybe the slave girl, and then this jailer. And, and so these people, they were potentially so inspired by Paul's actions and behavior that they they continue to model this throughout, you know, the first several years of their history. That they continue to continue, they continued Paul's legacy of welling up in generosity, even in the midst of need. You know, the world today, I think one of the main problems in our evangelism efforts, especially in the Western world, is I think Christians, they often seem smug and comfortable and power hungry. And I think it just communicates a gospel that we actually don't have. And I think that's why sometimes our efforts are, are mocked even. Um, the gospel that we are preaching doesn't line up with the gospel that we are embodying. We're often so blinded by our physical needs that we fail to see other people's spiritual needs. We're so focused on escaping from our own little prisons that we fail to see that so many around us, they have their own spiritual prisons. And, um, and so our... Words come across as meaningless. Um, I want to encourage you to sort of ask yourself, what prisons are you focused on? What prisons are you focused on? Is your mind consumed with your own problems, your own finances, your own health, your own relationships, your own job? And, uh, and again, I'm not saying it's not bad to think about these things. Obviously, we need to think about these things. But I'm asking, are you so imprisoned by those things, so constantly thinking about those things that you just don't think about other people? And if that's you, I want to encourage you to open your eyes to all of the opportunities that are around you. Even suffering, there may be opportunities that God is presenting before you. God perhaps has brought you to be exactly where you are, to the relationships you have, the circumstances you're in, positive or negative, so that you can help break people out of their prisons. And as you see those opportunities, uh, just like Paul and Silas, I encourage you to seize them. Everywhere around you, every day, there may be Macedonians looking for help. There are prisoners, there are jailers who need saving. And I challenge you to enter those worlds, to speak truth in life, and to break them out of prison. Um, in fact, 
many of us, you know, I would say the reason why we are Christians today is because someone did that with us. Someone at some point in time took the initiative to not think about their own prison, think about you. And he or she decided to share the gospel with you and to help break you out of your own spiritual prison. Um, and I would say this, the, the people who are best at breaking people out of prison are the ones who have been broken out themselves because they know what it's like. They understand the cost. But the unfortunate thing is that there are so many people, they break out of their spiritual prison. And once they do, they never step foot back in prison again. They're as if they were like Paul and says, the, these prison walls came down and then they just left. And um, it's kind of like, uh, you know, sometimes people, they grow up in very difficult uh, urban environments. And then their goal is uh, one day, you know what, I want to move out to the suburbs. And then they make it. They, they study hard somehow. They make it out in the suburbs and then they never come back home. Um, because they just, it reminds them of everything they don't want in life. And and I'm not saying anything about you know those people in particular, but I think many Christians we have that sort of mentality. We we become saved, we start following Jesus, and then we just never go back to prison again. We just was sort of like that world has lost me. I don't need it. But I want to compare that model to what Jesus did. You see, Jesus, he could have stayed out of this world. He could have stayed smug and comfortable in heaven chose to come into our world to live among us to hang out with us spend time with us and essentially to break us out of prison rescued us and surrendered his whole life to this cause even to the point of death to rescue us and that is the gospel that we are preaching when we communicate this gospel that in the midst of suffering we're able to joy we're able to communicate peace we're essentially communicating the essence of the gospel because that's exactly what jesus did jesus came and he suffered and he died and he gave us life as a result and that is why the gospel is best communicated in the midst of suffering because we are embodying the very message of the gospel so jesus after he rescued us what he did was he also commissioned us prisoners to be his prisoner rescuers he commissioned us not to huddle up in our isolated christian subcultures to stay immersed in this world but to go to stay immersed in our you know little cliques but to go into the world and to save as many people as we can while we're here so that's our mission so i pray that we will put on our spiritual glasses to understand reality in this new spiritual lens to notice the needs of those around us and to break those people out of prison um, I'd like to invite the music team up and then we'll pray. Father God, thank you so much for this time that you've given us to explore this message of Acts 16 and the story of Paul and Silas. Uh, God, I just pray that this heart, this supernatural heart that Paul and Silas had, I pray that we would have that heart too. This ability to not be so obsessed with the issues that we are going through on a day-to-day -day basis and this ability to be able to say, why have you placed me here? What opportunities have you laid before me here? How can I serve you? How can I share the gospel with those around me? What are the relationships you've given me even in the midst of suffering? 
people who I could love and serve. I just pray that we would have that heart. And God, we recognize maybe some of us went through a ton of suffering, a ton of heartache, a ton of t- turmoil, struggle of some form. God, I pray that you'd help us to learn what you are trying to teach us in the midst of the suffering. Help us to know how to spend the time to take care of ourselves, but also how to have the eyes to look out for those around us too and to communicate the gospel in ways that may not be understood otherwise, that maybe you're leading us through these seasons so that you can use us to communicate the gospel through word and to those around us. So may you give us the eyes of Paul and Silas. May you give us the eyes of Jesus. Before the joy that before him, he endured the cross. May that be our path as well. May that be our mission. May we take the mission seriously. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.